Hello and welcome to New Testament readings. I will read directly from the Greek text and translate uh, a direct translation, and it will be an expanded translation uh, as I pay attention to synonyms and uh, certain other elements of the uh, language itself and give you commentary as we go. This is how I studied the Bible initially, and then I have other methods as well. So here we go. We're in 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, Petros, Peter, we remember how he got his name. Christ gave it to him. Uh, he changed it from Simon to Peter. He spoke to a man who was <laughs> not all of that stable and solid, but promised that he would be a rock. And of course, Christ made him into a rock. Now he says here, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, right up front, he expresses his authority to write this letter, this epistle to the church. This is called a general epistle. That is to say, it is, it is sent to all the churches. So Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the elect pilgrims or or sojourners, parapodimus, the, the word can mean aliens or uh, uh, pilgrims, sojourners. We'll call it sojourners or pilgrims. That is, they're in a place that is a place where they have to abide, but is not their place, that it is, it is not their home. So it's like they're headed home. Let's back up to the elect. Now, there's a word that can, for whatever reason, can inflame people, and it shouldn't, really. It expresses our position in the world. This comes from the apostle authorized by Jesus Christ to call the believers to whom he's writing, and it's a general epistle, so it would be general, general, generally believers everywhere uh, in every time, and he calls them the elect. Now, sometimes the Apostle Paul in his uh, greetings will refer to the saints of God. Peter here refers to the believers, and he states positionally that we are the elect. He says, to the elect pilgrims, the elect sojourners. We, uh, election is, of course, something that for whatever reason, is despised, the doctrine of election is despised by many people. I don't know why, but uh, it is something that, of course, is uh, a fact, a theological fact of Scripture. Peter, right off the bat, tells us what our position is, what our place is in this world. Amongst ourselves, and within ourselves especially, we should understand that we have recognition from God. This, uh, this doctrine of election is talked about by many people, but, and it's written about by many people, but uh, it, it expresses that we, we are, and if you follow the doctrine through the scriptures, we are the people of God, the 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 children of the Lord, we are God's people. 
Uh, and if you really study it out, you will see that we are God's people uh, from before the foundation of the world. I will admit that the doctrine of election is something that can be very difficult to understand because it's very difficult for us to think that we had nothing to do with our salvation. But as a matter of fact, uh, we, are, uh, we are taught um, in the scriptures that we don't. It's all of God. It's all of grace. And so, so this, this word elect that speaks of the people of God positionally in the world is a word that is rich and deep and it is a doctrine that we should embrace, and it is something that we should uh, seek to understand. And I'm not sure that any of us ever achieves that place where we completely understand why, if I may use a personal testimony, why God, before the foundation of the world, chose me in Christ and then worked out in time what he had determined in eternity. That is a heavy thing to think about and to ponder upon. We'll talk a little bit more about the doctrine of election here in uh, in just a minute as we go through these. Uh, this the, We're just going to look at the first couple of verses today. To the elect pilgrims, to the elect sojourners, the ones journeying home and passing through this particular land at this time. To the elect pilgrims, the elect sojourners of the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. All right. The dispersion. You can look back at the book of Acts, and uh, the Great Commission was such that it would be carried even to the uttermost part of uh, the world. Studying the book of Acts and the early history of the church, you'll see that... Uh, it was difficult for those early Christians who were primarily Jewish, it was difficult for them to make the decision to leave Jerusalem. However, the time came when they came under persecution and they were forced to leave. Of course, they carried their faith and uh, their, their evangelism with them as they went into the, into the uttermost parts of the world. Here is the early part of how that happened, the dispersion. And he mentions these particular provinces. He mentions Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bethania. Those were primarily in uh, Turkey, toward Turkey, the modern nation of Turkey. So he's, he's writing to the dispersed believers who are the elect sojourners of the dispersion. Now, the dispersion, of course, uh, brings us, it seems, upon Jewish ground, but that's not really the case uh, particularly. It means that both Jews and Gentiles were dispersed, and a, an early heavy concentration of the dispersed Christians would have been toward the modern nation of Turkey and into these provinces that are mentioned here. So he says... Uh, Paul, an apostle, the one who has the authority to give scripture, the one who has the authority to teach 
Christians, early doctrine, to the elect sojourners, the elect pilgrims of the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bethania. Verse 2. Here we get back into the doctrine of election. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. All right? According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. That word foreknowledge is prognosin. Prognosin. Prognosis comes from that particular word. But uh, to speak of prognosin, it speaks simply of foreknowledge, to know something in advance, an absolute thing, to know in advance. Now, there's another word that Paul uses in Romans 8 that's, that's uh, translated predestination. But predestination and foreknowledge are actually two sides of the same coin, but one makes makes a stronger case for the absolute sovereignty of God. One leads into the other, and both of them together speak of the absolute sovereignty of God in calling out his elect, those whom he had chosen from before the foundation of the world. Prognosin, to previously know, to, to have determined previously. Now, some people say, well, you know, they're predestined because God can see ahead in time and he saw those who are going to come to Christ. You know, I could almost accept that except for the word foreknowledge. And foreknowledge tells you that God, it was in the foreknowledge of God that God predestined his elect. Now, I can't explain all of that. I'm not God. I know this. I am commissioned to preach the gospel and to teach the Bible to everybody, everywhere, because I do not know who the elect of God are. I don't know. God knows, but I know this much. As I go along and preach and teach along the way, there will always be some who will be saved because we are still in the age of the church. And as long as we're in the age of the church, that means that God has not completed his work within the church. So, I rejoice to know that when someone uh, when someone comes to Christ, I can know that God has called that person out and drawn him to himself, and I can rejoice that I was privileged to be there when God did such a thing. And God foreknew this. You cannot escape this word, prognosin. I will hasten to add that it's not something that people can understand until after they, this is my view, this is my opinion, until after they've been in Bible study for a while. If you want to think of uh, um, college and uh, graduate school, this is uh, to delve deeply into the doctrine of election is more of a, a 600 level. It's like a PhD level course, assuming that you've already gone through and understood the lower levels of 100, 200, 300, 400, and 500 levels of, of learning. And now, now 
after studying the Bible for a long period of time and thinking about it and reflecting upon your life, I believe that a Christian, a sincere Christian, a student of the Word, will get a, a stronger and stronger grip on the doctrine of election. It has nothing to do with granting a license to sin to people. It has nothing to do with that at all. Um, it has to do with the sovereignty of God. There's no power within man's power to, quote, make people saved or save people. It's all an act of God, and this is where we come to because at the end of things, it is God who is glorified in the lives of all of those who are the redeemed, the elect, because God through the ages in time brought to himself those whom he determined to bring to himself in eternity. And they are a gift. The church, the, the they are a gift to his son. This is the covenant that was made between the father and the son before the foundation of the world. So then he writes to the elect pilgrims dispersed across the lands and they are the elect, they are pilgrims, and they are dispersed according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So it is the will of the Father executed by the Son, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now that brings us to the next phrase here in verse 2. By the sanctification of the Spirit. That word uh, sanct to sanctify, sanctification, it in this case, it means to set apart. Uh, it means to set apart as a holy thing, to consecrate a holy thing. I am not holy because I have set myself apart from things. I am holy because God has set me apart from things. And, of course, the process of holiness is something that works throughout my life. To be set apart, to be sanctified, to be consecrated unto holiness to which God has separated me, all of us who are in Christ, this is an act of God. It is not an act of who I am or my, by my power. It is an act of God. It is the sanctifying power of God and God the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Throughout our lives is the one who sanctifies us who sets us apart. Let me speak to you mature Christians, those who have been a Christian for a long time. If you are like me, through your life, you have found that things that used to be important are not so important anymore. And you may be years into your Christian living before you finally are able to give up certain things in your life because it's, they're just not part of your sanctification. This is the process of making us become holy, more and more separated to God. That is, God becomes more and more and more in our lives, and the things of this world become less and less and less. Therein is the doctrine of sanctification. The Holy Spirit, who comes to let Paul writes to the Ephesians, the Holy Spirit is deposited into our lives, and there the Holy Spirit 
begins to, that's the presence of God. We are the temple of God. That's the presence of God in our lives. And, and he woos us. He teaches us. He convicts us. He compels us all because he is sanctifying us. So by the sanctification of the spirit and the next phrase here in verse two, um, into a, the, the Greek word means um, to or into. Um, older versions may say unto. Into the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. That is so, that is so powerful. Now, okay. Peter has the authority. He is empowered as an apostle of Jesus Christ to write to the scattered Christians, the scattered believers, the pilgrims, the sojourners, the ones who are dispersed, all, of course, by the will of God, by his foreknowledge and so forth. He knows where they are. He writes specifically, so there would have been copies, I suppose, of this letter or at least a command for this letter to be circulated among all the Christians who are there. So we have this we have this position in Christ and we are the elect and we have this position in the world. There is a place where we are put by God by his foreknowledge and we are there for the purpose of God. It's it's not a it's not a thing that uh, should be taken lightly that we are where we are. We are to bloom where we are planted. And then on he says, being the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, we are, we are chosen by God. There's a quote that Warren Wiersbe, and perhaps you know him, he's a, uh, he was a great preacher in his day and he wrote many books and he puts it like this when he speaks of the election, the election of God's people, the divine election. He says, we were chosen by the Father. This took place in the deep councils of eternity. And we knew nothing about it until it was revealed to us in the word of God. This election was not based on anything that we had done because we weren't even on the scene when he chose us. Nor was it based on anything that God saw in us that we would do or be or perform. God's election was based entirely on his grace and love. We cannot explain it, but we can rejoice in it. Isn't that beautiful? That's a quote from Warren, Warren Wiersbe. God knows the beginning. He knows before the beginning. He knows the middle. He knows both sides of the middle, before and after. And then he knows the end because it is a fact that God has chosen his people to be his people. And, and therefore, uh, therefore we're, we have this position that God has determined. We didn't determine it for ourselves. God did it. And that's, that's an element of worship for us. That's why we praise and offer worship to our God that he has done this for us. But, with, but then, of course, we're sanctified by the Holy Spirit. God, the Spirit, consecrates us. Uh, he is in the process 
of purifying us more and more every day as we are in this process of sanctification. Justification is our salvation. Sanctification is our being set apart. It's our purification. And then, of course, finally, there is our glorification. When we are raised in resurrected bodies, glorified, outfitted to live with our Lord forever and ever, set apart, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. It, it references how, it, it speaks of the idea of how we are separated more and more from the common things of life and away from that and into the service of God more and more as we live. That's by God's design. What a wonderful and glorious thing. Therefore, those who are sanctified are known as saints, the sanctified ones, saints. Um, and we increasingly are aware of evil in the world and in our lives. And, uh, of course, we trust the Lord. We pray through this process of purification that can only be done by the Holy Spirit. Uh, our only helper in this is the Holy Spirit. So we're, co we're consecrated by the Lord. And then he makes this, this wonderful statement. He says here, uh, into the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh my. That means that, okay, think about it. Chosen by God, placed by God, separated, sanctified by God, and now cleansed by God by the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So to be chosen, to be to be in the process of purification by consecration and to know that we have been cleansed. You can see how the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are all at work in the, in the election of the saint, in the sanctification of the saint, and in, of course, his particular salvation, having been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Christ, the, if you will, the Trinity at work in our salvation, in our lives, <laughs> a work that started before the foundation of the world. That's another study. Uh, Peter only makes this fleeting reference to it as he introduces uh, his, his letter, his epistle, to know that the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all sin and that the Holy Spirit is purifying us and consecrating us to make us holy in our lives, all because the Father has chosen us in the Son before the foundation of the world. What a, what a beautiful and wonderful thought. You know, the sprinkling of blood was a picture of Old Testament sacrifice. The priest would take the blood of the sacrifice. He would sprinkle the mercy seat, and then later sprinkle the people of God in the time of atonement. And uh, it was a, the sprinkling of blood was a symbol of cleansing. It was a sign that 
The people had been set apart to the service of God. It was an act of obedience to God. And it's because of that sprinkling of the blood of Jesus, I tell you that we are saved and that we have been sealed and secured in Christ because his blood has done for us what nothing else can do. So here we are, finally, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Wasn't that great? Grace and peace be multiplied, be multiplied. That's what we need so much in our lives. First of all, I'm going to take the word grace. Grace to you be multiplied. Grace is not addition. It is multiplication. As we go along in our lives, the more we realize everything is of the grace of God, more and more we come to realize it was all of God's grace and it was none of me. So this is grace being multiplied. I, I know more about how gracious God has been in my life today than I knew 20 years ago. And I'm telling you, I was saved as a boy 10 years old. And God has been gracious and kind to me and, and has privileged me to teach and preach the Bible and has made it my life's work to study his word. And I can reflect back now and I can see, you know, Today, I still don't understand grace, but I understand it so much better than I did 10, 20, 30 years ago because I'm growing in grace. It's being multiplied to me. It gives me more and more reason to rejoice in the Lord, in nothing that I've done, not in anything that I've done. I can only rejoice in the Lord. So grace is multiplied and peace is multiplied to have peace, to know that death has no hold on me, and to think of the sovereignty of God. I can walk in this life, and I can be in the midst of troublesome times and distress of nations with perplexity, as, as the King James, I think, refers to it, difficult times, and I've faced them. I've faced all kinds of difficult times in my life. I've, I've faced financial hardship. I have faced spiritual hardship. I've faced hardship within the churches where I've pastored. But you know, God gave me peace. The peace that passes all understanding, Paul would write to the Philippians. So, it is God's gift, the gift of peace. It brings rest. It brings ease and security in life. It is a peace that is a, a calm that comes after any storm or battle that I may have ever engaged in my life. There's always peace. You know, the weeping, it lasts for the night, but the joy always comes in the morning, the peace that God gives to us. Well, we've covered the first couple of verses in our New Testament reading of 1 Peter chapter 1, 
verses 1 and 2, an expanded translation, and some personal commentary that I make along the way as we read. So thank you for for listening and for studying this part of the Bible with me, and may God's blessings be on you.